This is episode 54 with Jennifer Fugo. Jennifer Fugo is a clinical nutritionist empowering adults who have been failed by conventional medicine to be chronic skin and unending gut challenges. She has experience working with conditions such, such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, and hives with clientele ranging from regular folks to to celebrities, plus professional athletes. She holds a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian nutritionist and a certified nutrition specialist. She works her work has been featured on Dr. Oz, Yahoo, CNN, and many other podcasts and summits. Jennifer is a faculty member of Learn Skin Platform, an Amazon best-selling author and the host of the Healthy Skin Show. Welcome back to the Thriving Thyroid Podcast, where we choose to become empowered patients and take our health into our own hands. Hi, I'm Shannon Hansen, a Christian entrepreneur, a mom of three, and after dealing with my own health mysteries, I made it my mission to learn everything I could about the thyroid. I soon became certified as a holistic wellness practitioner, a functional nutrition practitioner, and a functional diagnostic practitioner, and so much more. After that, I founded the revolutionary thyroid program, The Hansen Method. As a health professional and a mom, I fully understand the importance of having a fun, simple, and sustainable plan for achieving a responsive thyroid. So I share actionable and practical strategies for developing a responsive thyroid so that the ambitious moms and women can gain freedom from fatigue and lose the thyroid weight once and for all. Each week, I will be here for you. Along with my guest experts, we will be sharing simple and tangible tips that work for not only your thyroid, your hormones, your family, and your mindset so that you can get back to living the life that you envision for yourself. Welcome to the Thriving Thyroid Podcast. All right. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. I have Jennifer Fugo. Did I say that right? It's Fugo. Fugo. Okay. Thank you. Um, with me on today's podcast, and we're going to be talking about skin issues such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, and hives. And I'm really excited because this is something that a lot of women with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism um, struggle with as well. And so I think that this is great to have her on. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, give us a little bit of background as to who you are, your clinical experience, designation, all of those fun things. <laughs> Absolutely. So I am a clinical nutritionist, also a certified nutrition specialist and a licensed dietitian nutritionist in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and I've been in the nutrition field, I would say, for about 11 or 12 years at this point. I was initially a health coach and then realized after a couple of years, I really want to dig deeper into biochemistry. And um, I was working with a lot of people at the time who had celiac disease and thyroid problems. And I just realized I didn't know enough to do what I actually wanted to do to in order to really fully support them. So I went back to school for a master's degree in clinical nutrition at the University of Bridgeport. 
And yeah, I opened my practice doors in 2017 to start working as a clinical nutritionist. And I have a, a completely virtual practice. And so I work with a lot of people who struggle with chronic skin issues, um, things like eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, chronic hives, dandruff. Um, and then also a lot of times there's overlap between other conditions. Um, it's not uncommon to see thyroid issues. Uh, gut problems, other autoimmune disease. So it's a real smattering of um, concerns. And a lot of times they feel like they're, you know, they've just not been listened to. And they'd like to try to, my clients really want to try to address things in a different way. They don't want to do the wait and see approach. They'd like to also not micromanage their life via diet and think that diet is the only way to address their health issues. And so we dig around and find root causes that could be contributing to some of the mm, lab issues, um, nutrient depletions, um, gut challenges, whatever it may be, and work to resolve them from that root cause approach. I love that so much. And I love that coming at it at that root cause. So tell me a little bit more about what do you do to discover those root causes? Because I know you've listed that there's about 16. Yes, there are 16. Root causes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So the first thing that I really like to do is cast a wide net. I think that's incredibly important. And I'm sure your audience can really appreciate this is that when you go into the doctors, you're like, Oh, I have this headache. I have, you know, this ache in my elbow. I've got this rash here. I've, I've got the sniffles. And the doctor's like, I don't care about that. What part is specific to what I look at? And that's all they really want to pay attention to. Sometimes you get a great doctor. I don't want to like poo poo on doctor. My dad was an MD and a surgeon. So I understand um, the, I really understand that we have a standard of care that doctors do have to uphold in order to not potentially lose their own licensure. But there is oftentimes in the, the way that things are done today, we don't connect dots and dots get missed. And sometimes even in lab work, there may be things that are slightly off, but it's ignored until it's bad enough to diagnose something and actually treat it with like a medication, for example. And so I'm like, cast a wide net. Let's talk about all the different symptoms that you're experiencing. Look at your diagnoses, but also all of these other things. Look in your past. You know, um, as a kid, for example, I used to swim every single weekend in a, a basically a large river. <laughs> and so... Things like that. Um, I had one client where she had completely forgotten. She grew up on a farm in the middle of the Midwest. And when they were kids, they would run out when the crop duster would come flying over with all the, um, the pesticides and they would run through the dust and it would be yeah. all over their bikes and their toys. And so she had completely forgotten that potential exposure. So this goes all the way back to childhood. Sometimes I'll even ask questions about like the health of the, your mom before she even had you to understand how we got here because the historical data is just as important as the lab data. And unfortunately, it's only stored usually in about one spot, which is you. Sometimes you can go back and ask mom, but she's not going to know everything after a certain point. And so we look to say, okay, like, do you have headaches? Do you have, you know, 
like one question I ask people, which is a weird, they a lot of times think is a weird question, but is, do you have the sensation of bugs crawling under your skin? That's actually a very common experience in people who have skin rash issues. Um, and then not only fixating on the type of diagnosis that you were given with your skin, but also what are the specific symptoms or issues that you are experiencing? Because to be fair, eczema presents different ways. Psoriasis presents different ways. And it also helps me to know whether I need to refer you back to a dermatologist, for example, in the event that maybe part of the problem in this very moment is a skin infection. So again, casting this wide net, looking at a bunch of different systems and then going, okay, how can we see where these crucial root causes are that are possibly causing you to not get better doing like the same things that other people have done and they've gotten results? But it's for whatever reason not working for you. And that's fine, but it's probably something that you're not anticipating. You know, like I've had clients that have certain parasitic infections. They wouldn't, you know, of course, diet's not going to work in that case because they have a parasitic infection and diet can't actually make improvements with that. So that's just an example. It's it's looking broadly and honing in then um, in a way that uh, differential. My dad used to say that was really how differential diagnosis was done a long time ago. But as we got into this more like current day and age of medicine, it sort of went out the window because it takes too long and everybody stays in their own lane. So like my dad yep. is an ophthalmologist, we'll look at it, the eyes, sometimes the brain, but mostly the eyes. And then you have the dermatologist that just looks at skin. So a lot of times when their patient comes in saying, but doc, I think maybe my gut is involved. They're like, oh, no, no, there's no connection between your gut and your skin or your thyroid and your skin, even though there there is research to show that there is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is what I tell everybody is our body is an ecosystem. Nothing is isolated. <laughs> Nothing works independently. We're all kind of interconnected and it weaves in and out. And I love that you brought up that your dad was an MD because so my dad was an occupational therapist and that kind of led me into looking at things a little bit differently. So he, before he passed away, he started doing like a lot of red light therapy and this was before, like way before red light therapy became like a thing. <laughs> um, I remember him doing a lot of research on that and helping to just um, collect the data and put together like medical journals and things like that for the red light therapy. So it's kind of interesting to have like grow up as a child <laughs> in that perspective of like, oh, there's, this is what standard practice of care is. And then you start to see, at least for my dad, he started to kind of branch out and see naturopathic doctors and change his diet a little mm -hmm. bit and, you know, kind of play around with of things before passing. So super interesting. And the other thing that I want to know is when it comes to like skin rashes, how does that interconnect with thyroid function? What what kind of connections are you seeing with those those root causes? Absolutely. So thyroid function or dysfunction, I should say, is one of the 16 root causes. So it's an important, crucial step because there are symptoms of skin rashes. Like, for example, very, you can have extremely dry skin and that can be a sign of poor thyroid function. Um, so it is really, really important to take a look at a full thyroid panel if you've had chronic ongoing 
rashes, um, especially eczema and psoriasis. So with psoriasis specifically, there is data to show that there is um, an increased propensity toward developing autoimmune thyroid dysfunction, unfortunately. And it's something that when I have Told my audience and said, hey, when was the last time your doctor checked your thyroid? Most people say never. And that's really alarming because they do see that thyroid, so the TPO antibodies and the thyroglobulin antibodies can start to increase. Now, why that is, I don't know. But it was compelling enough information that I actually have, I did a whole podcast on it um, and on the research that I've looked at in regards to that. But for whatever reason, um, and, and I don't know whether, I don't know if it's a chicken and the egg scenario. It could be that somebody who's struggled with long-term rashes has been put under so much stress and there could be other underlying nutrient depletions and things that could contribute to poor thyroid function. But you do have to look at it both from like a subclinical hypothyroid perspective where we're basically missing nutrients and like iodine, vitamin A, um, protein, because we do make our, as your audience probably knows, we need tyrosine, which is an amino acid to make thyroid hormone, um, also selenium and iron, but also then too, going that step further and looking for the antibodies. And so, you know, there's been some instances, which I shared with you one, um, my, I always ask for a full thyroid panel, always, I don't always get it. Sometimes doctors are like, I don't see the point. Um, however, this one particular client, she had really bad psoriasis on her hands. She was extremely miserable and not just from the skin. I mean, she was depressed. She had trouble getting out of bed. She had whittled her diet. She had tried so many different diets. She did no nightshade. She did vegan. She did all sorts of things. She was yeah. so confused on what to eat and felt she was reactive to everything. And so her, when her labs came back and we sat down, I was like, okay, so you need to make an appointment with an endocrinologist. Like as soon as we get off the phone, because your TSH is at 33. And that is for those who don't know, that is a extremely high. Like, I think 4.5 to 5, depending on the lab, is usually the cutoff to be considered high. Um, Optimal is 1 to 2. So it's really high. And so um, she did fortunately get on some medication that really helped to support because at that point, that's not a food fixable issue at that point. You got, you got to get on medication to try to normalize the levels because you really don't feel well. And it's then a challenge to even have the motivation to do anything that I'm right. going to ask. And it's also yeah. not healthy. Um, and so she was able to bring her levels much down, uh, much closer to an um, optimal state. And that alone made such a huge improvement in her quality of life. It didn't like magically heal her psoriasis, but it was such a huge improvement. I, she actually came on the Healthy Skin Show, to, which is my podcast, to talk about this because she's like, I don't think people realize how important checking thyroid health is when you have psoriasis. So I, I would highly encourage anyone if you like if you've had a thyroid panel run, you know that you have this predisposition or you have a family history of thyroid issues and you've had chronic skin rashes or, you know, someone who has even if it's a, um, a young child, like a lot of times the symptoms even further out from just like dry skin can kind of mirror thyroid issues. And so yeah. people will end up fatigued. 
They might start gaining weight. Like, other, so you need to rule that out. It's really important because the thyroid is part of our, governs our metabolism to some degree. And if you don't have properly functioning, and it also too, just from the nutritional standpoint, if like yesterday, I, a client was like, oh my gosh, my TSH is at 10. How did that happen? Like, how did this happen? I've been feeling so great. And I looked at her panel and I was like, you know, did you take biotin? Like, did you stop your biotin right before, like, like seven, five to seven days before you went for this panel? Because the TSH was a 10. Her TPO antibodies were really high, which was weird because they were not like that a year ago. I mean, it can happen, but her T, her T4 was like in the toilet, but T3 was normal. And I'm like, something doesn't make sense here. Like maybe you should just, before you start meds, like maybe you should just have that rechecked and make sure to stop the biotin. So for people who don't know, biotin is the one specific nutrient that can really mess up a bunch of, not only thyroid labs, but other labs like B12, um, iron, and a whole bunch of other things. So you really want to stop all supplements, not food, but all supplements with biotin about seven days beforehand. And it's such a big deal. It's actually a warning on the FDA's website about this. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing up that up. I remember a couple of years ago when I learned that my mom, um, so my mom has, uh, she had a full thyroidectomy because she had thyroid cancer. She was taking biotin for the hair, skin, nails, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. And we, I had learned it and I remember talking to her about it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if that's why (laughs) my labs have been crazy. And her doctor was kind of playing with her medication. So she was feeling good. And then the doctor changed her dosage. And she's like, I feel like garbage again, you know. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, I want to go back to the parasitic activity in causation of like skin issues, thyroid. Because this is something that we see a lot with our clients as well is deeper infections that are happening and they're they're manifesting from that like inside out so tell us a little bit more about you know testing for parasites what you do and and um i think that this is really important is that pill agents in there for that (laughs) yeah um i will say this uh parasitic testing stinks and like you can always go by it um i get lucky sometimes that protozoa so like more single cell organisms not worms will show up on a test i never had a client come back with worms show up positive on a test fortunately although i did have one client she somehow managed to get into an infectious disease doctor and the doctor did an anal scraping and found a worm awesome <laughs> that sounds like exactly what i wanted yes, to do. <laughs> exactly um but most of the time it comes back negative and so the thing is i like Passing a wider net really helps you because stool testing in and of itself is not perfect. Um, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but you have to keep in mind, number one, parasites can move. They might not stay in the colon. So, you know, you're, the, the stool test is looking at the colon. If they're not there anymore, they're not there. Also, too, you can do three-day or five-day stool samples. There's no guarantee that they're ever going to come out or that you're going to pick out enough that it's going to show up. So it is what it is. But using, like, the symptoms and the clinical picture can sometimes be really helpful. So, I have had clients who've traveled extensively to third world countries, and those are usually the ones where I'm like, yeah, we're good. We're, we're probably going to just say parasites question mark and like leave that there because my yeah. assumption is that you probably pick something up inadvertently. And 
another piece to this to remember is that you don't have to get violently ill to get sick with parasites. Um, I think that's the common, you, you also don't have to have any gut symptoms. Right. I have plenty of cases that clients have no, like they poop like a champ one to three times a day, no gas, no bloating, no belching, no nothing. And it just comes out their skin. And so the, a lo- I've had doctors that are like, this stool test that said you had blastocystis hominis, I don't believe it. You don't have any digestive issues. We're going to do a local test at LabCorp, and lo and behold, it comes back high for Blasto on their test, and they're like, oh, well, I normally wouldn't treat because you don't have any symptoms, even though the person is miserable, and there is data that shows they can show up in the skin, but, but whatever, that's fine, and then eventually they do actually treat for it. Sometimes, depending on the severity of the symptoms... Um, I will refer a client back to their doctor to get some sort of medication treatment. Um, I work with a lot of people who have what I call histamine overload. Mm-hmm. And so if you're so awfully miserable, um, you know, you're also very limited on the food that you can eat. You're doing a low histamine diet. That's barely even kind of covering it or scratching the surface. You're taking like two to three histamine, antihistamines a day. You're up all night itchy. At the end of the day, and I had one client who had um, ex- like pretty bad asthma. At that point, I'd rather drop the level. You know, like I'm, there's pros and cons to everything that we do, whether it's a botanical or an herb or it's medication. And sometimes you have to weigh that. And I allow that person to make the decision themselves, what they feel is best. I provide them the information and say, what do you want to do? Because mm-hmm. the medication may at least bring you some relief a lot faster. And then we can keep on working on things. And a lot of times you still do have to work on the parasitic issues beyond a round of medication. But if it can get them to sleep, and if it can get them to be able to add more foods in without reacting, that's a big win. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to be a little vulnerable. on here. So a couple years ago, I'll give you guys a little bit of background. Um, You guys know I lived in a mold infested home, which kind of tanked my immune system. I just thought, oh, I'll avoid those areas. And it wasn't, you know, a big deal or whatever. Um, I was very uneducated at the time. Well, then long story, fast forward a couple years later, we moved to our little mini farm where we're at now. We have goats, chickens, cows, dogs, cats, turkeys, the whole thing. And so I was, I was found through some functional testing that my, my mold levels were still very high. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this cleanse. I'm going to, you know, work on the mold. Well, that specific protocol that I went on also addressed parasites. Well, around November, December this last year, I, on the cleanse, was passing parasites I had one, you guys. I did not take a picture of it. All of my practitioner friends are like, where are the pictures? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do those. Uh, (laughs) But I swear it was like 12 inches long. It was huge. I had no idea (laughs) that I was dealing with these issues because like you were saying, Jennifer, I didn't have the quote unquote traditional parasite symptoms. And then I also kind of looked at some of the the symptoms my kids were having and I was like, they probably have it too. Okay, well, (laughs) here we go for the kids, you know, and making sure that their their protocol is obviously more kid appropriate um, (laughs) to what they had going on. But 
I think it's just such a big thing to realize that sometimes there's things that are happening below the surface. And even though in my GI maps and other tests that I've run on myself, I never had parasites. I was not like I knew about them, obviously, but I had never like, oh, I should do a cleanse. Um, but when I started putting the pieces together, it's like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, the other piece to it, there can be red flags in other lab testing that you wouldn't necessarily think of. Um, and this is where like you just from the clinical, like working with clients, it you start to see patterns that nobody really taught you. Um, and so like a couple of things, um, like on a CBC panel, if your eosinophils are high, that can be at least a red flag for a possible, like a histamine problem. Yeah. However, if you also have a total IgE, so we're, we're talking more on like the allergic side of things, um, that is also really high. Um, that especially too, especially if you are not around the allergies that you have confirmed. So one quick example, I have a client who has a nut allergy. She's had a nut allergy for 10 years. So obviously they don't have nuts in her house because it's pretty severe. Right. She doesn't eat nuts. There's no nuts. <laughs> Why is there total IgE still through the roof? It didn't make any sense. And I was like, so I suspect you might have parasites. And that's what actually came back. So there is research. It is done in other countries. Most of them, I guess, most U.S. doctors would consider like third world countries. Um, But it does show that parasites can increase our total IgE marker by sometimes up to four times what it normally would be. Um, and it's, it ranges not, it's not just worms. It can also be different types of single cell organisms. There are some, uh, parasites like, uh, Entoamoeba histolytica that produce histamine. Uh, there's also certain bacteria that do as well, um, that you can pick up on certain stool tests, but just keep in mind that sometimes it might not be the stool test that you rely on. Again, that's why yeah. they're not perfect. And when you take the the whole picture and you overlay it with the other data, the lab data, you, you can usually, you know, it's a little a smidge of guesswork sometimes, but yeah. at this point, you know, we, we do the best we can. Yeah, I call this clinical correlation. We're looking at the labs, we're looking at the paper, we're looking at you know, what this essentially a piece of paper is telling us, but then we're also asking you questions. You know, are you having headaches? Are you this? Are you that? Are you, do you feel like your skin is crawling or bugs are underneath or, you know, those different things. And we're saying, okay, because this is saying this and this is saying this, and we're, we're putting these puzzle pieces together and connecting the dots, you know, these are our options right? Yep. Moving forward. Absolutely. And it's also not uncommon, like kids get pinworms. So if the kids have the pinworms, it's possible that other members of the family have them. You have cats, if we have cats and dogs, especially ones that go outside, um, cats are notorious for carrying parasites. Um, you know, and that's why pregnant women aren't supposed to even clean out a, a stool, a, 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 a cat litter, litter box. box. Yep. Um, I'm thinking stool test, not a stool <laughs> test, it's a litter, litter box in the cat world. Um, but dogs go outside and the most common uh, route of entry for parasites is actually not to ingest them, but it's through the bottom of the foot. And I learned yes. that the hard way when my husband and I were <laughs> down in Belize on a beach and then we came home and he had these funny squiggles on the bottom of his feet under his skin and he had to oh, go no. infectious disease <laughs> and get medication and I've also gotten parasites from walking in a rainforest in the in a river barefoot in Costa Rica so 
yes, it can't, it, you don't have to just like see the worm crawling out of the uncooked uh, sushi or a piece of fish because <laughs> that's another problem. And also yep. too, there has been confirmed information um, through even just like a local or a regular news station like NPR that I think it's Arkansas. I'm pretty sure it's Arkansas. It's like the hookworm capital of the United States. It's like, it's so bad because the poor septic systems there and the, when they have huge deluges of rain, the septic systems overflow, the worms get into the soil and people, when they walk around with no shoes, end up picking up hookworms. So it's a real thing. It totally is. And I'm, I always walk around barefoot in my garden because I'm like, I'm grounding, but these <laughs> animals. So here we go. I either, I have to always wear shoes or. <laughs> Always do cleanses. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So moving on, tell us what your thoughts are about blending conventional treatments with diet, lifestyle, supplementation, those types of things to deal with skin issues in general. I think it can be complementary. Um, I do have concern that um, people will, I have a lot of clients that have gotten so ignored and blown off and sometimes insulted by their dermatologists, unfortunately, that they don't want to go back, even when I'm like begging them, you have to go, I think you have a staph infection, given your symptoms, you need to go like eight out of 10 times and right, they have a staph infection. And that's not something that you're really going to I know that some people say, Oh, no, I dealt with staph with you know, this or that and natural things. But to, to be honest with you, most of the time, the clients that I have, it's too extensive. It's not something you want to really self treat, you may need antibiotics. And sometimes antibiotics might actually help what's going on, because it's not uncommon to have overgrowth within the GI tract. I think we have this, I would almost say misled notion that we all are depleted in our microbiome because of our you know, that our, our society's propensity to use antibiotics for everything and antibiotics and meat and poultry, etc. But the thing is, I work with, as I'm sure you do, people who have some level of illness, the majority of the stool tests that I look at show overgrowth, not undergrowth. Sometimes they have undergrowth. I have, un I personally have un an undergrowth state. And that's just me. But Sometimes antibiotics can be really helpful, especially to move the marker and especially when it's in a more emergency type situation. Um, I'm not anti-medication. I used to be like, no, we're going to do everything natural. And to be honest with you, that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. Um, I do like to cautiously remind people that, you know, there are side effects to every medication, even those prescribed in large tubs like topical steroids. We have to be cautious of how much we rely on that. And, and, and that's just simply from you can actually become addicted. Your body can become addicted to the constant exposure to hydrocortisone. Um, and that's a whole other set of problems yeah. in and of itself. Um, however, if you are willing to blend both together, sometimes people will get better faster. Um, but there can be instances where that, you know, somebody might just want to do, you know, all herbs and botanicals, and that's fine. I think everyone should have their right to make the decision of what's best for them. It's not my job to dictate that to someone to present them 
the situation, pros and cons, here are your options, what do you want to do and how can I support you in getting there? Um, But I will say this, diet is really helpful, but it's not the end all be all. Um, If you have pretty serious nutrient depletions, you probably cannot rely on diet to fix it. You know, if you have severe anemia, you're not going to get enough iron from your diet to address that in a timely fashion. You are likely going to need to supplement iron. And if it's really, really depleted, you might even unfortunately need some sort of iron infusion because that's, I have had clients that are that, that low in iron and it's been that severe. Um, so I think, you know, food is medicine, but there are limitations to it. And when you're extremely ill, it's not to say go eat McDonald's, don't worry about your diet. It's not that, but you can eat a really amazing diet and not absorb either the nutrients or enough of the nutrients that you actually need in order to replenish the dry wells that have resulted from years and years of whatever. It's not, this isn't a blame game. It's just saying, this is what is here. How do we want to get to where you want to go in the most efficient and effective manner? And that's where supplements can be helpful. Um, you know, and, 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 and tweaking the diet so that it is ultimately common sense enough and easy enough for you to follow that you're not feeling like you're starving or that you're having to give up everything that you love. Um, I work with people that end up with an extreme amount of food fear. They will overlay like Amy Myers diet, Isabella Wentz's diet, the AIP, the this, the low histamine, low there, the, 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 and before you know it, they're down to three foods. They are terrified to add anything else back in. And they end up with extreme nutrient depletions. And then after a certain point, there, there's a lot of challenge. And I, you know, I sometimes will even have to recommend that the person go back to um, a therapist and someone who's really trained in, in eating disorders, because this is what is happening in our community is the, the, the idea that diet can fix everything. But if you, you're only, it's like, I'm just one more elimination away from being healthy. And we have that mentality, like the more restrictive you are, the healthier you're going to be. And that's really a dangerous, slippery slope. Yeah. So, um, I'm not saying go indulge in all the gluten that you want, go eat trans fats by the bucket full. I'm not saying any of that. But if you're terrified to eat blueberries or asparagus or, oh goodness, any number of things because of X, Y, and Z and what you read in all these different books and -and so-and-so on the internet told you to take this out, that's really dangerous because we don't make most of the nutrients that our body needs to thrive. We have to actually take them in through either food or supplementation. And when you extremely limit your food, that means you have to rely on supplements more. You don't, you really, at that point, don't have the luxury of saying, well, I just don't want to do all these supplements. Yeah. Where is it coming from? Like I, (laughs) I have been put in that position to explain to someone how they're going to fix nutrient depletions, but they don't want to expand their diet but they don't want to do supplements. I'm like, I can't. We're stuck. <laughs> I, we're stuck. So yeah. again, the important, the, it's imperative to try to eat a diverse diet. 
Um, diversity helps improve diversity within our microbiome. It also allows us to have a diverse amount of nutrients. And um, I just, I would hate to see somebody go through, whether it's Hashimoto's or some sort of autoimmunity or chronic skin issue and come out the other side with an eating disorder. And that is a very, very real reality, unfortunately, right now. It really is. We, so I'll give you guys a couple examples. One of our clients, she went and saw a dietitian years ago, her insurance company would only pay for one visit. And <laughs> the, they did like an IgG food sensitivity testing told her she was, you know, sensitive to all these foods. So she cut out fruits, vegetables, meats, legumes, all of these whole grains. And nobody taught her how to take them out and reintroduce them. And so now what became her diet was, and this was again years ago, so she took out all those foods and she replaced it with a lot of unhealthy foods, cookies, cakes, processed junk, whatever. And and we've had to work with her on, hey, this is really good. <laughs> you know, we need this nutrient to help support these things. You may have a minor food reaction to it, but we still need that food to to help, right? To help support, to give the nutrients. And eventually your body's going to self-correct, self-heal. And you can, then you won't have those food reactions, but we're, we're having to take out all of these bad things and replace everything, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, it's, it's a really tricky thing. Um, we, there's also another client that we haven't, I shouldn't say client prospect. She hasn't enrolled with us because she is not ready for our program. She has to deal with the food trauma before we can even get into what needs to be done for the thyroid around food and nutrition. Um, so it is, it's a very real thing. And I'm with you. We have to keep as much as we can in in the diet <laughs> um, for the nutrients, right? For the nutrition mm -hmm. and supplements are just that. They are supplemental to a good, healthy diet, lifestyle, all of the things. Um, so I love that so much. Um, is there, before we wrap this up, is there any, any last thoughts or information that you feel like the listeners should have? Well, I would definitely say that if you're looking to cast a wide net, I obviously I have a lot of resources over on my website. Um, I have like, I have a whole e-guide on how to go through the 16 root causes and identify those so that you can sort for yourself, like where you kind of need to start to focus here. Because that's the biggest problem. Not everybody has all 16. So whatever your reading combo is, you want to identify that. And that will then help you identify where you need to, to put your energy toward. Um, and that's, that's available. And then I also have the Healthy Skin Show as well. There's over 200 episodes of the Healthy Skin Show at this point. So there's a ton of information. And, um, you know, you can easily search in the search bar for the topic that you're looking for. We've got uh, tons of experts, doctors, dermatologists, gastroenterologists, dietitians, nutritionists, even patient stories. And sometimes it's just me sharing research and clinical pearls as well um, to help you look at your skin from a completely different perspective and offer, uh, to, I don't know, I just, I wanted to give people the opportunity to to have more options, you know, to, when you, I don't, I don't know about you, Shannon, but like, I just was handed more creams. And that was what happened. Like I ended up with this box full of lotions and creams and salves and all sorts of stuff that I bought at Whole Foods. And 
there's so much more to what is going on with your skin than just on the outside. And so um, for somebody who's ready to kind of dig in and say, what the heck is going on? That's what this whole um, body of work that I've been creating over the last three years is that's who it's for, to give you better options and to hopefully change the way that hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> the way that the standard of care is looked at. Because I wish that the next time I refer a, a, a client back to the dermatologist because of a parasitic infection, they actually would care. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a handful of, of functional integrative dermatologists that are interested in this, but there's a lot who still think, no, it's just a skin problem. It's just your genetic. Um, there's so much more more to to skin issues than just like genes and allergies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of one of my missions is helping people change the standard practice of care, letting them see that we, I mean, specifically for thyroid, we have to test more than TSH and T4, right? There's all of this other information and data that we need and it thyroid does not work alone. We need to look at you know, sex hormones, we need to look at, you know, your gut microbiome, we need to look at kind of the whole picture. How are you absorbing the nutrients that you are eating? You kind of briefly touched on that, you know, maybe you're eating all the right foods and doing all the things, but your body can't break it down. Those are also things that we have to look at. And it comes from the patient's being educated and asking the right questions and getting the doctors, getting the physicians to scratch your head and, huh, I don't know about that, <laughs> you know, and doing it enough so that they can start seeing their own clinical correlations um, and, and doing the research and finding out the information. So thank you, Jennifer. And we will have all of your contact information linked up in the show notes. Um, and hopefully you guys can go over and check out the six, 16 root causes. Um, I think I'm going to go download that. Not that I have eczema or anything like that, but it's just good information to have because you never know what you could be overmissing or overlooking, especially if you're dealing with these skin issues. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Before you go, I want to make an offer to you guys. Now, there's no pressure here, but if you are like me and you just want to get to the root of the issue and you want help and you want guidance and you just want to know what to do and you are an action taker and you are highly ambitious, we have several spots that are open for the Hansen Method. Our schedule fills up very quickly. So if you are interested in getting in, filling out an application and joining us, please take the time to visit the show notes and schedule your thyroid breakthrough call. We will be talking to you about what is holding you back. Where do you want to go? How do you want to feel? And then give you our personal and professional recommendations on the next step for you so that you can get out of this thyroid chaos once and for all. Wait before you go! Please subscribe if you found value in today's episode. Leave us a review and share on Instagram and please tag us. We love your reviews! Pretty please!